Nuclear. Now is it crick or creek? Coyote or coyote? Sometimes I say library. Welcome to You're Saying It Wrong. I'm Fletcher Powell, and each episode we turn to the people who literally wrote the book on this, sister and brother team Kathy and Ross Petrus, and we'll dive into what we get wrong and sometimes what we get right when we try to speak this weird English language. Merriam-Webster quite recently added a number of words to their dictionary and a number of new definitions, as they do from time to time. The one that got the most attention this time around is a new part of their definition for the word they. And specifically, they have added this. They can be used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. Before we get going on any of this, I... I need to say that each of us believes that each person has every right to express their identity in the way that they see fit and has the right to be afforded the dignity to be referred to in the way they want to. And we also recognize that language changes quickly, and especially language concerning identity changes very quickly. And so we're certainly doing the very best we can, but if we happen to say something that uh, a person may find to rub them the wrong way or even offensive. Certainly, that's not our intention. We apologize for that. And actually, please let us know. Uh, write to us and, and let us know. Uh, because also, not everyone is necessarily on the same page um, when it comes to that. Some people may find one thing offensive while other people do not. So please let us know that. Do not let us know if you simply don't think other people should be able to be called what they want, because we won't debate that. That's not what we're here for, and we have no interest in that. So, with all that said, they've added this to the dictionary. It seems distinct from just the, the idea of the singular they, which I believe either was already in Merriam-Webster, or certainly it's in a lot of dictionaries already. I think we should start there with, with take, take out the non-binary section for a moment. Let's just start with the singular they, and I'd like to know where you two come down on that. Okay, Kathy and I are both fine with it. The singular they is excellent, we think. And here's here we go into the problem. English with the I, we, us, ours, there's no gender problem. Second person, you, yours, no gender problem. Plural, they, them, no gender problem. The only real problem we have is with he and she. In that case, we want language to be inclusive, but in this case, we've got a problem because he or she. Everybody get to his or her seats and write his or her paper and hand his or her paper into the teacher. It's really clunky. And that's why we don't object to a singular word taking the place of he or she. Right, we've already got these other words that act as either singular or plural, so why couldn't they, their, them also act as that singular? There's no reason. It's been used for years. I mean, you look back in the 1300s and stuff, I mean, everybody from Shakespeare to Ben Jonson, etc., has used they as a singular. And it's for whatever reason, I think because of the other feed-in, suddenly everyone's getting extremely upset. Yeah, when you say used for years, you're not talking like 1910. You're talking about the 1300s. 1375 is the first recorded instance of they being used as a plural, a singular. I mean, that's pretty compelling. <laughs> <laughs> there, actually, Fletcher, there's also something else, too. There's sort of a precedent for having a plural become a singular or vice versa, uh, thou, thy, and thine used to be the singular you, and it switched. 
and it was gotten rid of, and you took over the singular, in this case, the plural you. You used to be plural or very honorific, and that took over the thy, thou, and we don't say thy anymore at all, and that's fine. And no one objects to that whatsoever. Yeah, no one no one blinks at saying you. I mean, nobody nobody would even consider blinking at saying you to, to address one person. That That is what we say now. Right, and a long time ago, in 1660, George Fox, the founder of Quakerism, which we've talked about, said if you were, you were an idiot if you used you instead of uh, thou. And grammarians like Robert Louth and Lily Murray tested people, and they gave them failing marks if they in class if they said you instead of thou. And now, like you said, we don't look at it. Do you know how long it took for that, that change to take place from pe- people being heavily scolded for using you in the singular to to where we are now, where people don't even consider it as, I mean, it's not even a, a thing that makes anybody think anything. I have no idea. How long did it take? Do you know, Ross? Because I actually don't. I'm sitting here looking at, I'm seeing many rants, 17th century Quaker rants. And boy, they got like heated. But I'm seeing nothing where it did actually say like, okay, it's over. I always thought the Quakers are so gentle too, but I guess I guess when it comes to grammar, they get language. really angry. <laughs> 17th century Quaker rants is not something that I ever really expected to hear. There's a book in this, I think. <laughs> I'm going to take a wild guess and say, prob- uh, in the 1600s, I see we have a lot of old, rare books. I see thous and thines in the 1600s. I don't see them in the 1700s to any degree. I th- my mm-hmm. guess would be about 100 years, but that's a guess. Okay, okay, because, I mean, we're certainly still in an area where people are uh, have difficulty with that singular they. Uh, uh, every all, I mean, it seems like almost everybody uses it, even if they rail against it. You see I, that. I was just going to say that. The thing that fascinates me is exactly that. I mean, in books, the comma queen, the woman who was a copy editor at The New Yorker, in her book, she she talks about how you should not use the singular they, but she herself uses it in a prior chapter. So, I mean, it's it's a conversational thing. It's easy. It's As Ross said, it's it's much easier than saying him or her or he or she. I, got, I noticed uh, just recently someone said to me, Ben Shapiro, who's an American uh, commentator, I guess, on the radio said, woke scolds are destroying language, falsely claiming the singular they. He said it's a made-up definition of a word that has never been used in human history. <laughs> I want to mention very quickly that that some clever person on Twitter went and found many, many examples of Ben Shapiro himself using they as as a singular pronoun. <laughs> I like so, it. So even after he's complained about it, he clearly uses it himself. Well, that's what I was just going to say again. We go back to which we both, I mean, the three of us have talked about at length, is, is the key of English, obviously, is communication. And I think a singular they is completely understandable. I don't think you have any question. Like when you say no one knows what they're doing, I don't think you go like, what are you talking about? You get it, right? Right. In terms of communication, there's there's no question. And then Harvard linguist Steven Pinker, and we've talked, Kathy and I have been chatting about this for hours, said that there's not even a logical... <laughs> yeah, fascinating chats. <laughs> we do. But Pinker says there's not, I'm not going to go into the details of it, but Pinker says there's not even a logical problem with having uh, the singular they, in this case, tied to the anyone. He says it's a, it's a logical um, connection not related to number at all. It's a quantifier and a bound variable, which is a different kind of logical relationship. There is no logical problem with having a singular they connected to anyone. That's what he says. And we can spend hours talking about the logic behind it, and I don't want to go into that. But he's saying there's no problem even on a logical basis. 
we've covered the singular they, but that's not the only solution to the problem. And Kathy and I have talked about this before. There's like a long history of trying, usually on the outlying areas of grammar, of trying to deal with the problem of how do we avoid saying his or her in the singular when we want to get these two sexes together. Or just his, because I mean, his was the, the, the pronoun that everyone used for, for the combo for, for years. One of the problems with um, when we have his meaning his or her, um, in Massachusetts, there was a law in the 1890s. I think it was the time when feathers, ostrich feathers, used to be very common. And Boston did not want women to wear feathers in their hair. So they passed a law. But because they were men passing the law, they used the generic his to refer to his or her. The Boston police chief, commissioner, said, I've got a real problem. I can't arrest any woman wearing a feather because the law says no woman, no person shall wear a feather in his hat. And that meant men. And so by the letter of the law, uh, they couldn't arrest women for that. And by the letter of the law, women were wearing feathers happily in Boston, presumably in the 1890s. <laughs> for the 1800s, the idea basically was his refers to both. But in the 1800s, there were also people who tried other pronouns, not using a singular they, but other pronouns to get, avoid this his or her problem. Well, that's what always fascinates me because, and what we started out, we were talking with the thou, they, you know, Quaker issue. But then, as Ross said, in the 1800s, the they, you, you couldn't say that singular antecedent. So what can you do as a his or her combo? And all these different places started coming up with uh, like their little different suggestions. My personal favorite was hiser, H-I-Z-E-R or H-I-S-E-R, which is a combo of his and her. I mean, that didn't ca take off. What else was there, Ross? Uh, I liked IP, I-P, which I thought, <laughs> I just can't imagine using IP as a generic his or her uh, pronoun. I don't, Fletcher, what do you think of IP? Yeah, I'm with, I'm with IP. I'd go with that one, yeah. <laughs> I thought that was better than N. N was another. Thon was the one I liked. Although, Kathy, I have to correct you. It's pronounced THON. I checked that. He said it's a THE sound, not a THON. <laughs> Whatever. Oh, it's THON? It doesn't really matter because no one's ever used it. But It was that and one was the, it, was, it makes sense though. I mean, like there was like a, a, a perverted logic behind him, like his or, or thon being that and one, his or his and her. It does make sense, but um, it, it's, it's an issue. I, 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 they didn't catch on. No one seemed to really like them. In the late 1700s, someone also came up with, as I recall, I forget which grammarian, really uh, energetically promoting one, as just Kathy just said, one's own, one's this, one's that. But again, that's sort of clunky. It's funny because I have used one sometimes to avoid his or her. And, and it, it also has that fake stuffy sound to me. There, There's a slight, you know, like, oh, one does, you know. Yeah, it's that stodgy. Quite, yeah. And we also have that famous gender neutral pronoun, it. The problem with it is it has connotations of aliens. It came from outer space. Centipedes. Ooh, look at that centipede. Or, or things like that, or babies, which I, I didn't mean to link babies to centipedes, but the baby is crying. <laughs> Some might. <laughs> <laughs> but that's true. It, it doesn't work for, for people because it, it, it is kind of dehumanizing. Uh, again, I guess unless we're talking about babies, which we don't recognize generally as people anyway, they're sort of property. <laughs> or crying that things. Cry. Yeah. <laughs> property that poops, yes. <laughs> right. So there's been, though, the, the, the real key to make point to make is that there has been um, a long discussion 
as Ross said, they're outliers. They did not catch on of, of attempts to shake up this whole pronoun issue, like to have something that was a, that was a, a genderless they, the, the, the equivalent of a they, but they, they were trying to graft something onto the language. I mean, I, we have lists of them. They have him or her was one of my other favorites we didn't mention, which is like him or her as one word, which is clunkier to my mind than saying him or her. But anyway, I mean, they have here, hi, ha, heesh, thur, she, see, heesh, as Ross said, von. And then Z was uh, one that has been, had a little more traction, Z-E. But again, um, they, uh, Harvard, I think it was in 2015, said that the, anyone could pick their own pronoun. And they did have Z on the list. And I think it was something like less than 1% had chosen that. And I know the um, Linguistic Society, American Linguistic Society, said it's just sort of, it just never caught on at all, even though it's been out there. That ZE, I think, maybe turns us a little bit toward the, the non-binary uh, aspect of this. I, am I mistaken that ZE has been used uh, to designate uh, uh, someone who identifies uh, in a non-binary sense? Correct. So so there have been also um, attempts or, I mean, I guess th there are certainly people who use who use pronouns such as ZE, but, but again, uh, there have been um, attempts to create words that might work for uh, someone who identifies in a non-binary sense. And again, those those have not caught on. ZE is the one that comes to my mind, but but I know there have been others. Well, there are others, like there's knee, nem, near. There's V, veer, vis, something something called spivak, which is takes off the TH, A-M. I'm not pronouncing these probably correctly, which shows, again, the problem. X-E, Z again, but it's pronounced, uh, it's written X-E. Well, I think the problem with grafting something or, or trying to introduce a new word is most new words, most most neologisms happen organically. They just sort of occur. You're not you don't think about it as much. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I know I'm oversimplifying because, of course, people make up words. But I'm saying usually like hangry. I know that's like a silly word, but I mean, it, it happened, you know, hungry, angry. It, it it just sort of became something and caught on. Um and I think the problem with your Z's and your C's and your V's is, is it's, it's an intellectual construct as opposed to an organic one. Does that make sense? Language only really works when people accept it. Whatever we think is right. We do have the artificial construction of Ms, which did catch on. So it's not necessarily Z may catch on in the future. But and I'm not arguing against its use, but I'm arguing like Kathy, what's going to end up happening? We're being descriptive here. How does language change and how is it going to change? I'm not saying what should happen, how is it going to happen? And on that one, uh, on that one, a University of Sheffield linguist was saying, obviously, that they and them will end up becoming, as you, as you did, becoming singular because we already use the word. We're not doing a new word. The problem I still, I think, is the grammatical area of it. Now, I'm not saying grammatically correct or incorrect, but do you say the reflexive form? Do you say themselves or do you say themselves? That, that fascinates me. I would say you would say themselves because the self then is singular and you're using the they or the them as a singular, right? Or would you say themselves? This is where I'm, I, I get curious as to what's going to happen. I think it's going to end up being themselves. Yeah, I, I think, I think themselves definitely is where that is headed. Yeah. Or, or may already. I mean, I think it's already there, honestly. On the the Merriam-Webster blog has themselves by uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, none other than, than him. 
She got her man talking about himself. She had him clinched and harnessed. They gave themselves away. So let's let F. Scott take the charge on that one, I think. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to go back to one thing that was sort of interesting when Kath and I were talking, and Fletcher, we were all talking about uh, what's going to get accepted. Interestingly enough, do you guys know about Sweden with a neutral term there? No, tell us. Okay, Swede, I, I, this is going to be an awful pronunciation, but Swedish has two terms with she and he, Han and Han, H-O-N-H-A-N. What the Swedes decided to do in 2015 is get a new gender-neutral term. Now, in this case, apropos of Kathy, it was easy because it's H-E-N. So we have like just a slight vowel change. So it's probably sort of like they would be here. It's easy to use. And then they began to use that as a, as, you know, as a, as a generally accepted, general neutral term. Well, what also they do, though, is they start at a nursery school. So that way a kid, it's, 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 it's ingrained in you, you know, which I think is huge. Because it's, it's like if you're starting as a, as a child, as a little kid learning this is a pronoun, it's, it's normal. It's natural, I should say. I definitely agree. And that's definitely something that we're going to start seeing in English uh, with, with the with they and them uh whether whether it's explicitly directed uh or or whether it's just something that children pick up uh, that's the word it'll it'll start becoming easier as as younger people absorb this into their language and and develop into older people sometimes it feels a little strange for a moment because just because we're we're not used to that but that's okay and and as as we shuffle off and other people take our place it's going to become easier and easier and and the language will change i mean that's of course how language changes i think you're absolutely right i think i think first of all with anything with language the more you use it the more the more you use it i mean it's just it's one of those things it's a tautology and i do think secondly once, I mean, like we go back to Ms. Ross had referred to before. I don't think anyone thinks twice about Ms. But I mean, I remember back in the day, there was that whole hoo-ha about it. It was like, how can you get rid of the R and Mrs.? And how can it's either Miss or Mrs., blah, blah, blah. And I think Ms. probably is used more widely than either Miss or Mrs. I don't know offhand, but I would assume it is. So, I mean, to me, the singular they for a non-binary person just makes eminent sense. And I think it will be catching on. And right now, already, there was a recent poll done and 52% of Americans feel somewhat or very comfortable using um, gender neutral pronouns. That's a little bit over half. And, you know, but the interesting thing was, as Kathy just said, young people, 18 to 29 year olds were 61% comfortable with it. Exactly. And, and, and under 18, I'm willing to bet is even higher than 61%. It's, it's rapidly going to change. I mean, we're not even really changing the meaning, but maybe slightly change the usage. Exactly. We're just extending its usage, actually, which is which is common. I mean, if you look at most words we use currently, just just any kind of word, often they've just been extended in usage over time. So, I mean, we're really not making a big difference. It's just that we're seeing it. And it's and I think because it's like, quote, political to some people, it, it, it's getting more attention. But normally, I think it would have sort of happened more seamlessly. To be honest with you. And the other interesting thing is someone objected, I just heard recently, um, to the use of the verb. You know, do you, got, do you go they is or they are, referring to a singular person? Yet when you think about it, we do that with you. We exactly. say he is, 
Fletcher is going to the store. Hey, Fletcher, are you going to, are you going to the store? Which is a plural in that sense. And then then you go, yes, you is, right? (laughs) (laughs) No? (laughs) We have absolutely no problem doing it with you. We'll have no problem doing it with they. It's just not going to be an issue. No, and I don't, I don't, when I say you are going, I don't think, oh my gosh, I just used a plural with you. It's ridiculous. (laughs) You don't at all. You're absolutely right. Well, also now, I mean, just like the thing, it's the style guides, Associated Press, MLA style, APA style. They've all they've all included singular they now, which which I know sounds minor, but copy editors do slightly still rule the world. So I I think that yeah, the times they are changing. Times you are a changing. <laughs> they is a changing. They is a changing. Yes, right. Yeah. That's it. This episode of You're Saying It Wrong has been produced by me, Fletcher Powell, help from Beth Golay and Luann Stevens in the studios of KMUW in Wichita, Kansas. If you have a question for Kathy and Ross, you can tweet it at us. We're at YSIWpod or email me at powell at KMUW.org. And if you like what we're doing, leave us a rating or even a review at Apple Podcasts. The book, You're Saying It Wrong, was published by 10 Speed Press, and you can find that and Kathy and Ross Petrus' newest book, That Doesn't Mean What You Think It Means, at your local independent bookstore. Kathy and Ross have written a lot more. They've got a number of other things either coming out soon or in the works. You can check out their other work through their website, kandrpetrus.com. That's K-A-N-D-R-P-E-T-R-A-S dot com. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back in two weeks. And no more things this week, really. We had a couple delays with this episode, and even though there probably aren't many of you frantically refreshing your app to get this the second it drops, although I know there are a few of you, I see you, I am quite late in getting it out there, so I kind of just want to scoot it out. So hopefully the episode was enough for you this time around. Also, we've had some listener questions that have backed up a bit. Apologies for not getting to them yet. We wanted to talk about this today because we felt like it was kind of important and also topical. But we will get to those questions hopefully soon. And please keep sending them in, even if it seems like we're ignoring them. I swear we're not. One tiny little thing I learned in the last week, our last episode talked about that less versus fewer debate. And just the other day, I found out that when you're talking about one thing, you always say less, like less than one person is killed by an asteroid each year. I don't know if that's a true statement, but saying less than one rather than fewer than one is proper, which I guess makes sense if we're talking about divisible things. One isn't really divisible. I mean, I mean, it is, but not in the way we're talking about. So saying less than one seems right. I don't actually even know if that's the reason we say it that way, but that's what makes sense to me. I do think I probably would have said fewer than one, although honestly neither one sounds exactly right to me. Gosh, I hope we didn't actually talk about this in that episode, because if we did, I clearly wasn't paying attention. Anyway, okay, talk to you soon. Thanks. Bye.